We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans this morning, the book of Romans, and the 11th chapter, the book of Romans, and the 11th chapter this morning, as we continue through our exposition through the book of Romans, and I will be reading and preaching on verses 11 through 16 of chapter 11, Romans chapter 11 verses 11 through 16 this morning for our text. I invite you to read along with me silently as I read aloud. Here Paul writes, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time of worship today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people and to praise you and thank you for your work of salvation. And we ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit this morning, that he would be our guide and our teacher, that he'd lead us through this text of Scripture and help us to understand it and to apply it in such a way that you are glorified in Jesus Christ as honored here in our midst. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Beloved, as we saw last week, Paul rejoiced in two things regarding God's purposes for his native kinsmen, the Israelites. First, Paul rejoiced in the fact that God had not rejected his people. God had not rejected his people, but rather he had reserved for himself a remnant according to grace, who he called and he powerfully saved for Christ's sake. And of course, Paul himself, you'll remember, was a part of that remnant that God had reserved to himself. For Paul's conversion to Christ was evidence, it was clear proof that God had not forsaken the physical descendants of Abraham or the members of individual tribes within Israel, such as the tribe of Benjamin, which Paul identified with in his own physical lineage. But God had chosen sovereignly out of the history of Israel, going back as far as the days of Elijah and as far forward as Paul's own day, a people who would not bow their knees to idolatry, but who would be testimonies of God's own grace, demonstrating that God does not call us on the basis of works, but by grace through faith in his Son. And of course, the Apostle Paul was hopeful. Yes, Paul was even confident that God would continue 
to call Israelites in his own day, since there remained, according to Paul in Romans chapter 11 and verse 5, at the present time, a remnant chosen by grace. And this being the case, we have every reason to believe, even in our own day, brethren, that God will still call Israelites to himself in the same way that he called Paul. Then secondly, Paul rejoiced in the clarity that God had given him into the reasons for Israel's failure, and in particular, Israel's failure to obtain what she had been seeking. For rather than keeping Paul and us in the dark as to why Israel missed the mark, the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul, and Paul revealed to us back in Romans chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, that Israel's failure was a consequence of God's sovereign choice to chastise her and to reduce her status among the nations. For quoting from Deuteronomy 29 and verse 2, Isaiah 29 and verse 10, and Psalm 69, Paul describes unbelieving Israel's condition as one of spiritual confusion and spiritual chaos. And rather than seeing her as privileged in a way that Israel preferred to see herself, Paul actually portrays Israel as stumbling as being in spiritual darkness and in a place of hard servitude to sin. So instead of arguing that Israel stood as a beacon of faithfulness to God, as he once had done, Paul now presents the Israelites as a people who were to be pitied. People who were to be pitied for Paul clearly teaches in the way that he applies the Old Testament here that Israel was deserving of what she had received and that she was in desperate need of the gospel of grace that he presented. And yet as we come to our text this morning, Romans 11 verses 11 through 16, we see that while in one regard Paul viewed Israel as an object of pity, he also wanted his readers to see that God's ultimate purpose in dealing with Israel was not to destroy her. Was not to destroy her, but rather God's purpose was to ultimately display his glorious intention of gathering together a people to himself whose number would be far greater than mere Israel, and which would include Gentile nations as well. And in doing so, God would not only bring blessings to the nations of the world, but he would draw back many from the descendants of Israel who out of mere jealousy would be more receptive to the preached word of God. Needless to say, Paul was hopeful that through the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, many Israelites would see that the salvation of God had been sent to the Gentiles, just as Paul had stated back in Acts chapter 28 and verse 28, and they would long to believe in Christ themselves. And so let's consider Paul's arguments here in our, our text this morning and how they urge us to have a realistic and an optimistic view 
of Israel's role and Israel's future under the preaching of the gospel. A realistic and an optimistic view of Israel's role and future under the preaching of the gospel. It's interesting to note here, beginning with verse 11, that Paul begins with yet another question. And you'll remember that Paul has had a lot of questions for us in chapters 10 and 11. This is the fifth question in Romans 11 alone, which is designed to test how convinced we truly are that God will never forsake his own people. And Paul asks and answers the question here, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Or in other words, was God's purpose that their stumbling might end in their ultimate fall or destruction? And Paul's immediate answer is, by no means. By no means. Or as the older King James or the new King James Version states, God forbid. Because God's ordering of Israel's stumbling was not intended to destroy her, but to use her for a greater and more ultimate purpose. In fact, we might argue that what Israel merited, which was destruction, was superseded by what God purposed instead, and that is mercy. She merited destruction, but God, through mercy, gave her mercy. Mercy to the Gentiles who would now hear the gospel. Mercy to Israel in being provoked Godward by jealousy. And not surprisingly, Paul makes this very declaration here in the rest of verse 11. Notice verse 11, for he writes, rather through their trespass. And, and notice Paul is not denying that Israel is to blame for her sin. She has a trespass. But though through her trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And I would submit to you this morning that two things are of special note here related to these words. First, we should note Paul's clear statement that salvation has come to the Gentiles. Salvation has come to the Gentiles but not through their own efforts. In fact, if it had been left up to the Gentiles to find or to bring salvation to themselves, they, you and I, would still be in darkness and without the gospel. But because God often uses broken, imperfect vessels to be a blessing to others, the Gentiles came into possession of salvation as a result of Israel's refusal to hear and to receive the gospel first. And while this does not make us indebted to Israel as Gentiles, we should understand that we benefited from Israel's loss and failure, which should cause us to be humble and not arrogant and to desire to pray for Israel's salvation. Then secondly, we should note how gracious God is to bring something so good as salvation to the Gentiles out of something so tragic as Israel's rejection of the gospel. 
For not only was God not obligated to bring salvation to us as Gentiles, but God was not obligated to use Israel as a blessing to us either. Given Israel's self-centeredness and her sinful refusal to receive the gospel as the means appointed to bring spiritual blessing to all people. And yet so is the graciousness and the wisdom of Almighty God. May we be in awe of it, in awe of the wisdom and graciousness of God in establishing a way for you and I as poor Gentile sinners to receive rich spiritual graces from the hands of the Jews who were spiritually poor themselves. Surely this goes to show that our God is spiritually generous beyond measure that no nations, be they Israelites or be they Gentiles, deserve what they have received from God's kind hand. In addition, Paul goes on to state here in verse 12 that these blessings and these blessings are access to the gospel for the Gentiles and being used by God for the Israelites are not the greatest blessings that God has in store. These blessings that I've been talking about here over the last few minutes are not the best blessings. No, there are more to come. More to come. More to come indeed. There is even more once Israel as a whole will be more fully included in that community that is being created by the gospel. For Paul writes here in verse 12, Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And of course, in asking his readers this question in this way, Paul is revealing several things about God's sovereignty over Israel's fall and Israel's future. Several things about God's sovereignty over Israel's fall and Israel's future. First, Paul reveals here that Israel's trespass, which was her refusal to receive the gospel, had become a source of riches to the world a source of riches to the world. Now, how so? Because it hastened the open proclamation of the gospel to other nations, which would not have happened had Israel responded and kept the gospel to herself. Think about that. Therefore, in a sense, Israel's rejection of the truth became the means by which a greater proclamation of the gospel was made possible. For what could have resulted in continued darkness actually became a, a source of rich revelation to those who were exposed to what Israel had rejected. And so while it may have been uncomfortable for some in Paul's audience to think of Israel's transgression as a source of riches to others, Paul saw what happened as a result of Israel's rejection as a blessing too rich to ignore a blessing too rich to ignore. And of course, this same kind of result has also been seen in the history of gospel missions around the world. 
want you to think about this. Sometimes the unwillingness of one nation or one people group to receive the gospel actually provides an open door for the gospel to be preached and heard by another nation, by a nation more willing to receive. And what seemed at first to be so tragic in the case of Israel then become the great blessing and kindness to others in the providence of God. And again, this is what happened in the case of Israel. For her unwillingness to receive the gospel of Christ only prompted the willingness of the world to receive it. The fact that Israel rejected it caused the world to take notice to it, caused the world to sit up and listen to it. Her hard-heartedness highlighted the eagerness of others to respond to it differently. And so, in a sense, there was a transfer of riches, a transfer of riches from Israel, who once enjoyed the riches of God when she was receiving the word of God, to the Gentiles, who were eager to rise up and to gather those new riches instead. Then secondly, Paul reveals here in verse 12, in terms of God's sovereignty, over Israel's response that Israel's failure in contrast to her trespass, which Paul mentioned earlier, was a source of spiritual riches to the Gentiles in particular. So to the world at large, but to the Gentiles in particular. And how so? It was a source of riches to the Gentiles because they became the main, they became the primary focus of Paul's gospel endeavors once Israel refused. And the Gentiles received the attention that Israel once had. There was clearly a time within Paul's own ministry when the focus shifted from the Israelites to the Gentiles since the Gentiles were willing to listen. In fact, I wanted Mark this morning to read the passage from Acts 28 this morning because I think that really marked the moment in a sense in which Paul officially announced that God had gone to the Gentiles because of Israel's refusal. For Paul said there, in essence, as recorded by Luke, the salvation of God is now being sent to the Gentiles and not to the house of the children of Israel exclusively. And of course, the reason for this, Paul stated back in verse 11, was to make Israel jealous to provoke her to jealousy. For what can make a person more jealous than to see someone else courting their future spouse? And in the case of Israel, Paul did not hesitate to stress that this was part of God's divine strategy to place unbelieving Israel in a place where she could see with her own physical eyes that another people group, namely the Gentiles, had a monopoly on the things of God, so to speak, and appeared to possess the approval and favor of God over her. 
So a clear consequence of Israel's failure to hear and to be a steward of the gospel was the rise of another people group, the Gentiles, who believed in the Messiah of God, who believed in the Messiah who was first sent to Israel, and to believe that salvation was to be found in him. Then thirdly, Paul reveals here in the last part of verse 12 that in terms of God's prerogative over her, Israel would one day have a greater collective response to the message of the gospel. Israel would one day have a greater collective response to the message of the gospel. For Paul argues that if Israel's trespass brought spiritual riches to the world and to the Gentiles as a people group as well, how much more will she bring riches and blessings at her inclusion? Interesting word, inclusion. Or when in the future... She, Israel, is a greater part of Christ's church. And of course, here in this last part of verse 12 is where we find Paul's great spiritual optimism for the future of Israel's salvation. For Paul does not seem to suggest that Israel will simply fade off into the sunset and no longer be a factor in God's redemptive plan. He's not suggesting that they would continue in rejection and in unbelief indefinitely, but Paul clearly suggests that Israel will be included much the more. How much more then with her full inclusion? Now, what does this mean regarding Israel? Well, these words could reflect, and I think they do, Paul's settled belief that more and more Israelites would indeed receive the gospel and be incorporated in the church as he and others continued to proclaim the gospel in the hearing of Israelites throughout the world. Paul believed that the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ would continue to be spread throughout the world and throughout generations to come and that proportionately there would be an increase in the number of Israelite believers who had the opportunity to hear the gospel and who would be sovereignly and savingly drawn to Jesus Christ. However, some Reformed interpreters throughout history have insisted that through these words here in Romans chapter 11 and verse 12, Paul taught that there would be mass conversions of Israelites to Christ sometime just before the Lord's second coming. And they believe that Israel's inclusion referred to as their full inclusion here in the text. Notice the words full inclusion would involve conversions of Israelites on a very wide scale. So while some have insisted that God will only save few Israelites in the future, only a small remnant, others have also insisted that as the church gets closer to the Lord's coming, there will be many within the chosen remnant who are indeed Israelites, descendants of Abraham after the flesh. 
In fact, this teaching is often referred to as the Puritan hope. The Puritan hope, since so many of the Puritans held to this very distinctive teaching. They preached and they prayed in hope that Israel, physical Israel, would come to Jesus Christ in large numbers. Yet whether many will be saved or they will come to Jesus Christ more towards his second coming is not clear from Paul's statement here, but his purpose clearly is to emphasize that Israel's ultimate end in the redemptive plan of God is not one of total abandonment. Israel will not be totally abandoned by God. Israel will not have some small and insignificant role at all, but a future that brings riches to the world at large. For given that God's purpose, according to verse 11, was to provoke provoke Israel to jealousy so that she might, what, return to him, not to consign her to obscurity, not to punish her indefinitely, but return her to him. It seems that Paul's optimism for the future of a redeemed Israel doesn't seem unwarranted. Certainly God could do that. For God will not reduce his ancient people to ultimate ruin. However, what is absolutely clear is that Israel's future is directly tied to her salvation in Christ and to her inclusion, her participation in the one family of God, the one church of Jesus Christ, which is God's one holy nation, according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And yet, what about God's dealings with the Gentiles? What about God's dealings with the Gentiles? This message this morning is entitled, God's Grace Towards the Gentiles. What, what does Paul say about that here in the rest of our text this morning, verses 13 through 16? Well, Paul states here very clearly that God's dealings with the Gentiles have indeed been gracious and undeserved. And we who are Gentile believers have no reason to boast in who we are. We have no reason to boast in Israel's failure. What we are, we are by the grace of God. What we are, we are by God's grace through Jesus Christ alone. However, let us note here that Paul does provide several reasons why you and I as Gentile believers should be especially grateful especially grateful for Christ's work and for Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And let's note these reasons very briefly before I close this morning. First, Paul reminds Gentile readers, including us here in verse 13, that his ministry to them centered on his role as an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, which was a role that Paul greatly rejoiced in. Even though he was a Jew, Paul rejoiced in the fact that God had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Notice Paul writes here, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Gentiles, listen up. 
For inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And so here Paul stresses in one sense how grateful he was to God for the ministry that he received, which was not merely to provoke Jews to jealousy, but to lead Gentiles to Jesus. Paul's expression here in verse 13, notice these words, I magnify my ministry is an amazing expression because it shows how deeply Paul appreciated the grace of God in his own life for who he as a former opponent of the church became as a apostle to Gentiles. For who was Paul to think that as a Jew he could be a blessing to people of another race? to the Gentiles in particular, and yet here was Paul, by grace, standing at the crossroads of redemptive history, having the great and awesome burden of provoking his fellow Jews to jealousy on one hand, and the honor and the privilege on the other hand of writing to and appealing to Gentile believers who were eager to receive all throughout the Roman Empire, the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. What a unique and rare and wonderful position Paul found himself in. He knew he didn't deserve it. He magnified his ministry by the grace of God. Then secondly, Paul stresses here that Gentile believers should be especially grateful because Israel's misfortune had actually been used by God to facilitate our reconciliation. Our reconciliation both with God and both with the Jews as well. For before Israel's failure, we were not even on the radar screen as Gentiles. We were not only not there, but we could not be seen. We were strangers to the promises of God. We were outcasts in the sight of God. And yet, through one group's great calamity came another group's great opportunity under the providence of God. And what was overlooked by Israel's arrogance and neglect became the truth that is prized by us today. And that is the glorious gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. And brethren, this should not cause us to look down upon the Jews as Gentile believers, but rather we should thank God for them. We should thank God for them, and we should pray for their salvation, for their acceptance, as Paul states in verse 15, will mean life from the dead. Notice that life from the dead, and may God grant this soon. Then lastly, we should be especially grateful as Gentile believers because we benefit profoundly from what God has accomplished through them. We benefit profoundly through what God has accomplished through them and what God is doing by joining and incorporating us with them into one spiritual body. For Paul states here in verse 16 of Romans 11, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And what is the whole lump? The whole lump is 
all who were called to Jesus Christ. And who are the branches? Those who find their spiritual life in Christ, including Gentiles who have been grafted in. And we'll talk more about our ingrafting next week, Lord willing, when we continue in Romans 11. Therefore, given that those who are chosen in Christ, whether they be Israelites or Gentiles, are part of the same lump, and we all draw life and strength from the same root, we should rejoice in both blessings. We should rejoice in all of these relationships. May God help us to see his amazing grace this morning to all who are his chosen ones, whether they be the remnant of Israel or whether they be you and I, unworthy and undeserving Gentiles, who are what we are by the grace of God. May we be grateful to be among them, to be among the people of God, called by God, loved by God, preserved by God, and equipped by God to serve him. May God be glorified through the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for your word today and for this message here in Romans 11, where there is much more here in this chapter than just information about ancient Israel. There's much more in this chapter about than about Israel's rejection and failure, but there's news about your grace. There's evidence of your gracious working, not only among the Jews, but among us. And we should be greatly encouraged as we read these passages to know that we are included in this because of Jesus Christ and because your grace has called us out of darkness into light and has placed us under the cross beside our Jewish brothers and sisters in love of Jesus Christ. Father, continue to work your grace in us. Continue to call us to the work of preaching the gospel to all nations. Help us by your grace to live the truth that we've heard today. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name.